welcome to Making Our Way podcast, where we take a deep dive into the projects and creative process of our fellow makers. I'm Austin from High Caliber Craftsman, and I'm excited to join you for this episode with Dean Duplantis and Christy from Twisted Twine Woodworking. Hey guys, good to see you this week. Hey. Hey, hey. What you guys been up to, Christy? What have you been doing? Um, well, I have been watching the guys work on the shop because the weather has not cooperated. Um, um, with that's us. called uh, supervising, by the way. There we go. <laughs> from afar. I've been supervising from afar. Uh, the next steps that we have as far as uh, wrapping the the earth contact sides of the house with the ice and water dam paper because it's sticky on one side. So we have to have over 40 degree temperature. Well, last weekend um, we did not, we had snow and uh, very cold. So we didn't get to do that then, but today Marvin and a couple of his guys were over and they were able to put, um, we also put some termite paper. I'm sorry. I don't know the official word for that, but it's termite, anti-termite paper uh, around the perimeter of it. And then the uh, ice and water dam paper. And then since we're using that styrofoam um, box blocks, there's, it's kind of like a, a super thick plastic bubble wrap. I know that sounds weird, but that goes around it also. So when we're pushing the dirt into the sides of the walls, into the sides of the building. Uh, it doesn't damage the styrofoam or doesn't damage the paper and the other layers of protectant that we've put in. So that's why there's, you know, a couple feet of black, looks like literally black bubble wrap sticking out the top. I got to say, I mean, I've done a lot of different construction over the years, doing remodels, doing new construction, building sheds and barns and this is the craziest build. I guess it's just like, it's not anything. I mean, I'm building at sea level or right. below sea level right. and you're building on hilly ground. It is great. I'm watching yeah. like, I don't even know what this is. What are you doing? Same. <laughs> like, right. It's same. Yeah. 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 Wild. There's Watch. definitely some extra, I mean, you wouldn't have to put obviously the termite protectant wrap. You wouldn't have to put, you know, if we were not underground, we wouldn't need to put the ice and water dam. We wouldn't need to put the, the layers that we put on today wouldn't even needed to have done that. And even if we were like just sitting on the hill and not underground, we probably, I don't know that we would have used the Fox blocks. There's kind of, you know, if we didn't want it to be a storm shelter right. level quality, we wouldn't have needed it also. So there's a number of, reasons why this is a much more involved project than a traditional workshop um, because we want it to be more than a workshop for us. And I think when we're done with this, if you guys are cool with it, I'd like to have Marvin come on and use the real words for what um, we're using. Cause I know a lot of times I'm kind of like, well, it's kind of this thing or it's kind of that thing or whatever. Yeah. So you guys could kind of pick his brain as well, but yeah, there's, there's so much to this that I am just, you know, I've never paid any attention to that kind of thing, but um, they were able to, you know, push all the dirt up along, up against the building. So now, I mean, it is, it is sitting in seven ish feet of dirt on the back corner where it connects. And um, it's looking really, really cool. Cause now we've just, we need to take some more of the bracing down and then, uh, 
not this coming weekend, but the like the last weekend of January, the Thursday and Friday before, and then the Monday and Tuesday after, the guys are coming in, putting the second floor on and the roof on. I mean, we are, we're about to be under roof by the 1st of February. Second floor, it's going to be two stories? The second floor will be uh, storage, yes. Okay, cool. And the reason, one of the reasons we are doing that is because Marvin had a project that a client changed his mind on what they were going to have built. So Marvin had, you know, the the floor joists extra left over. And so rather than putting, you know, an enclosed, you know, rather than closing off the the rafters, we're like, why don't we put a second floor? Because the most expensive part to building that we've already got. So that's why. And who doesn't need more storage, whether it be in your house or shop or wherever? My shop here. I, so we moved in this house in 2012 and probably in 2016. I re, This was an apartment. So it was a full, you know, bathroom, laundry room, kitchen, stove, everything apartment. And whenever we kind of made the decision, okay, this is going to be all my shop and not half gym. Uh, one of the things I did, I cut a hole in the ceiling and went up and just resupported all the joists and made storage. And that's where the ice chest and the dolly and spare lumber and the random wheels and all that stuff is all, all the sustainers and cases for tools is all up in the attic. I've got a Lamborghini poster that I got probably in seventh grade. It's up there. And, um, <laughs> Some other things that I just don't really have a use for. Your Bo Derek posters up there now. Mm-hmm. Not much use for that anymore Mm-mm. since the old ED took over. But um, so, <laughs> what have you been up to, Dean? Besides ED, um, you know, when we bought my car, it came with a poster of a girl in a bikini washing a 911, and uh, the license plate is get wet. And Kristen was like, What? And I said, The guy said his wife was like, The poster has to go with the car. And it's framed and in my garage. Nice. <laughs> What's crazy. I was actually, you know, who I was talking, I was talking with uh, Keith over at um, Blackthorn mm-hmm. Concepts. Or, oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. we were talking about old um, tool posters, how it used to be like, just like half naked girls and stuff yeah. and how yes. they've changed all their marketing now where it's like, that's not, that would never fly again. No. It was just like terrible, terrible marketing. Yes. Uh, I had a pretty interesting week. Um, I tried to stay busy. Uh, my big project was I, I cleaned the back patio off. And that's something I try to do twice a year. I take all the furniture off, the pits off, I soap and water, wash everything down and then put it back. That was my big Saturday project. And Kristen came out irate because I told her I was raking the leaves. I didn't tell her I was raking and burning the leaves. And uh, I was putting the solo stove to good use, uh, burning pile after pile of leaves. And it was the most fun I've had doing chores in a long time. Um, besides that, I actually got an order from one of my corporate clients. They had a repeat order of some um, ribbon spools that I'd made for. And so I, I told her I'd go ahead and knock those out. And I cut those on the CNC. And at the same time, she asked me for some hooks, some wall hooks that she'd seen on Etsy. And I was so happy I got to out Etsy Etsy. So she sends me these hooks and it's $20 for two pine hooks stained. You get to pick whatever colors, but it's basically just a piece of wood, 45 on one side, three and a half inches long, rounded over on all the edges with a, a threaded rod or some way to bolt it to the wall. And you can hang hats or whatever on it. And this, this lady wanted to hang her felt hats in her closet. And so I made them out of mahogany 
threaded rod. And when I did my cost, I did half of the price of what Etsy was charging. And I still feel felt really great about the transaction. And so uh, I, the one thing I tried to make 20, she asked for 13. So I was like, well, I'm going to make 20. So when one of her friends or something asked for them later, I've already got a half dozen made. So I had this piece of mahogany and it had like a, a check on the end. Well, so I rip it into 20 pieces and seven of the 20 pieces, that check was a crack that went all the way through. And when you put any kind of force on it, it cracked right in half. So I couldn't mm. even use seven of the pieces. So I was down to 13 and it was like, please do not mess any of these up. Cause I don't want to have to grab another mahogany board to do all these out of, but uh, it was a pretty fun project. Uh, basically just a 45 on the end. Then I uh, countersunk a, a threaded insert. And then I actually went and bought a threaded rod instead of using screws or bolts. I bought a threaded rod, cut it to length, and then epoxied it into the insert and epoxied the insert into the wood. And then I just bought some wall anchors that matched the diameter of the, the threaded rod and told her how to do it. And she sent me a picture an hour and a half later, all 13 up, hats on all of them. And it came out really great. So it was a fun project. Cool. And then besides that, I'm getting ready for the G700 to arrive sometime in February, I think. But it involves me reorganizing the shop. So I've turned my desk, as all the YouTube viewers can see tonight. Uh, my desk is at a different orientation. And I'm going to start moving toolboxes from one side of the shop to the other side of the shop so I can make room for this new desk collector. Sounds good, man. But, uh, I do not envy you moving the entire freaking shop around. I've done it so many times that, and now I'm just like, no, no, we just need to build a bigger shop yeah. <laughs> instead of trying I, to move it around. And it is one of these like game of inches. Like well, if I move this here, if I can move that there, I'm actually going to have to move one of the inside toolbox two of the inside toolboxes into the garage and then move one of the garage toolboxes back into the shop because I thought they were going to fit on one wall, but the wall's 58 inches. They're 30 inches each. And I really do not have the two inches for them to hang over one way or the other. So two inches make a big difference. Who would have thought, huh? Oh, I would have thought it. I, uh, I, I started taking all of the pull handles off of my toolboxes to give me that little bit of extra room to get them into those tight locations, like between two machines. I'm like, Nope, this handle's got to go. And I've even gotten to the point where I've been switching out the caster wheels to make them shorter to get them underneath, oh, you know, like that's any exactly, little thing. I was going to say yeah. that I've got the last two toolboxes I bought. I took the handles off and the last one I bought, I took the casters completely off and they were four inch casters. And I had one with five inch casters and I swapped them because I was like, that's one more inch of clearance that I can store right. stuff on top of. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, every little bit helps, if, especially if you're tight on space, you know, when my dog spends so much time out here, all that casters do is give somewhere for dog hair to go. Right. Now there's some toolboxes. Like I have a charging station. I have a piece of plywood with all my battery chargers on it and it rolls under one of my toolboxes. So, you know, that's, that's some valuable room. And then I've got another one where I keep a 220 extension cord coiled up. And, um, I have like a, I have like a, a drip pan where if I'm going to do something that's oily or messy, I, I've got this pan that I'll put on my table and I keep those under another one. But besides that, everything else is just a room for dog hair and spiders. Yeah. I, I try to keep everything that's in the center of my shop. I try to keep on wheels and then anything that's on the perimeter. If wheels work, that's great. If not, I'll just slam them. I'll take the wheels off and slam them straight to the ground. But the biggest problem I always have is the potential of flood. So that's true. Like that's four inches 
which doesn't sound like an insane amount, but it's four inches over the entire property of water. So that's a lot of water, you know, like every yeah. inch of water up is a lot of water. So, I mean, if two inches made a difference, four inches really makes a difference. Right. Yep. Exactly. So, so what have you been up to? Um, so this week I did a quick blacksmithing project with pop. We did, uh, my mom wanted some bird feeders, which I'm pretty sure turned into squirrel feeders. <laughs> yeah. Those are definitely squirrel feeders. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, he's putting like peanuts in there. So obviously he's feeding squirrels, but he was calling them bird feeders. But, um, so yeah, we just did these like quick, you know, forged out, um, little loop-de-loo kind of bird, just basically it just gets it off the tree enough that, uh, he can suspend his little squirrel feeders. And, um, took that out i've been i've been super busy with pants so i my, my basically it's it's not like pure christmas but it's like a little secondary christmas season going on right now which i am definitely not complaining about because normally i'm sitting around <laughs> this time of year um so it's been keeping me really busy um and i've been kind of kicking around new ideas for like some new style pens i burned about half a day making one new oh. style pen that because uh, anytime you're doing your first machining, you know, trying to figure out the size tolerances and all that stuff and, and design, because like I'm, de- I'm machining designs into them. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, it's just it just takes a minute to figure it out. And uh, my stupid uh, spray can, I don't know if they got too cold, my my lacquer and my clear oh, uh-huh. and they're all milky every single one. So I've yeah. like coated and then stripped this one pen, like, cause I'll just throw it in Aston and, you know, take all the, all the finish off of it and it's brass. So it's no big deal, but I've stripped and recoded this thing like seven times. I think I finally got it, but, um, they must've just, you know, I must've, when we lost power during the cold one time or something, and they just got, that could be, me- me- yeah, messed up. So I'm going to have to hit the old, Home Depot and get some replacements. Well, and don't forget Nick from last week, his, his, uh, was it his mom had a request for pencils custom for her. So don't forget that. Yep. I'll have to get on that. It's uh busting out that machine. There's a lot of setup with it mm-hmm. and it's kind of fiddly. So, um, I avoid things that are fiddly and <laughs> take it. so I'll, I'll push that down the street a little bit and take care of it later. Tonight, we're joined here with Mark Adams from Mark Adams Pictures. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, We usually don't go too much in detail on uh, a person's origin story, but I think yours is really important because of your connection to where we know you from and and kind of to build up a little bit to that. Can you kind of tell us, you know, how you became what I would consider the maker's photographer? So maybe four years ago, I'm probably going to get the timing screwed up. So previous to, to this life, uh, I lived in California for 20-ish years. I moved there for school from the Northwest um, and was a first photographer in LA and then in San Francisco Bay area for about 14 years. And I just got, uh, got tired of it and, uh, decided I needed uh, to get out on a, on the open road. And so I hit, hit the motorcycle for four months, maybe camping off the back of it. Um, and just riding wherever I felt like riding. Yeah. Um, I, 
it's been interesting, different podcasts recently, it seems like they've talked about the the points in your life where you've making a right turn or a left turn or no turn at all and how that kind of affects, you know, your your future. So how did that that stretch of time, how did that kind of redirect or or restructure your future after that kind of time away? All right. Well, so on the on the trip that I was what I had planned to do was I was going to ride the Transamerica Trail, but that starts on the East Coast and goes out to Oregon. And so I was going to hang out with my family after finishing that, but I needed to get out to the East Coast. So I wanted to um, kind of make a route out there. And so I decided to ride, you know, Route 66. <clears throat> so that's why my other Instagram is R66TAT. So it's Route 66 Transamerica Trail. Um, and so I kind of, left San Francisco and then just kind of, I thought I was going to ride down to LA and start, start it down there. Um, and cause I've got some friends down there still. And, um, you kind of, on a trip like that, you kind of want to do a certain number of miles, but it really wasn't going to be about miles for me. So probably a week into it, maybe a week and a half into it, I decided just to, to ride until I felt like I was in a place that I wanted to explore and then kind of stay there as long as, I felt like I knew the place and that could be, you know, it could be an hour. It could be a conversation with somebody. Um, cause I still needed to, to do some miles. Um, but I basically get up, get out of the tent and find the next coffee shop 50 miles down the road in the Easter direction. And then, uh, stop there and ask them where lunch was maybe 200 miles down the road. And that's kind of how I went across America. And so it gave me a chance to relax and kind of not be so focused on the goal and just experiencing every, every day for, for what I could enjoy from it. And that's how I ended up in Cleveland. Um, cause there's this skid mark garage is there and their community garage. Um, and I needed to change my clutch out. So I knew that I could order parts and get them shipped and then, uh, change, you know, rent, they rent by the hour. You can have a monthly or yearly membership. Um, so I'm this, you know, guy who's been on the road and I just pull in there and they accept me like I'm, you know, one of their family and offering to, you know, take me to their house and let me take a shower and get cleaned up. And, um, so I just kind of really, really connected with the people there. And there's a, a soul craft, soul craft wood shop, which is on the second floor of that building is basically how I kind of got introduced to the maker movement. Oh, cool. Um, cause, uh, Jim's actually been to both of the maker camps. Might've seen him, uh, around there, uh, this year he brought his daughter. Um, so he and his daughter were working on projects together. Um, but I was just, uh, randomly, I had set up a portrait set up for, um, a social event that was in the architecture office that shares that building as well. Cause there's I don't know, eight or 10 different businesses in that building. It's a couple hundred thousand square feet. And I, you know, I just left it up and, uh, they Lincoln electric had their, um, kind of their first social media maker influencer event where they brought a bunch of people to, uh, to Cleveland. And, um, I was, I was just hanging out working on my motorcycle and I see some people that I don't recognize kind of walking around and they're, they're bringing in some food and they're setting up some tables and, um, they had kind of a cool look about them. And, you know, I was like, Hey, I've got this portrait thing set up. So I grabbed a, grabbed a couple of them and, you know, here's this guy, they don't know, you know, so just right. dude, ask him to take some pictures. We walk up and take some of the, the first black and white pictures. Um, those are the ones with like the white background. Um, and so I shot a couple of those and I was like, oh, that's cool. So I emailed them there. And then 
maybe 10 minutes later, there's kind of like a little pack of makers that come up to me and they're like, <laughs> Hey, you got, you that guy taking pictures. Could, could we get some of those? And so I kind of ended up, uh, everybody went up there and they were, you know, drinking beers and hanging out and just getting their picture taken. Um, and they're all like, Hey, let me, let me get a picture with Jimmy, you know? And so I'm like, well, who's this, who's this Jimmy guy? You know, everyone's <laughs> like, all these people are like, Oh, he's amazing. So, um, you know, I take these pictures with, with Jimmy and, uh, you know, check, check out, you know, social. And I'm like, Holy shit. That's a, <laughs> a considerable amount of, uh, influence that Jimmy has. And, um, and I mean, you know, you know how nice he is and how just, you know, giving yes. his community and everything that he mm-hmm. does for everybody. Um, so then Lincoln Electric, the next year, they wanted me to be part of their uh, spring make event. And they brought me to take portraits there. Um, and then after that, uh, Jimmy and uh, Patrick were putting together Makers Camp and they invited me to come up to New York and, and do some pictures there too. So that's kind of how it just randomly happened to be in the right place at the right time. So that's kind of really kind of guided my last four years of life. So. Yeah. And, and I know, um, for me, my, for when you were at makers camp, I met you the first time at makers camp and I'm not one that enjoys getting my picture taken, but you really made it feel so comfortable. And so just like a natural process that it seemed like everybody, and I know everybody was having such a great time getting pictures taken, pictures taken together. Cause even like, you know, normally you got a bunch of burly men or, you know, people that have just been hanging around in a field all day. We're not feeling too beautiful. We're not feeling like we want to necessarily have our picture taken, but especially as the weekend goes on, I mean, you got guys grabbing their friends and and standing right. in line because, you know, they, they want, they see the enjoyment, they see the energy that's coming out of these pictures and, you know, they want, they want to be a part of that. So that's what I've always found interesting watching you work mm-hmm. because you make people feel so comfortable getting their photograph taken when that's normally not something, you know, most adults necessarily want to do. Well, I know that, you know, like most people that do this kind of stuff, they're taking, you know, pictures of themselves. They've got their video set up in the corner, you know, whatever pictures they're taking, but they're not used to being in front of a professional photographer who's um, wanting to try and give them the best image that I, that I can. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny because the, like the first time I did it with just the random people, they had no expectation of getting a portrait that night. So they, you know, they didn't dress a certain way. They weren't anticipating anything. It was just, Hey, get in here and we'll take a quick picture. And, um, I try to be really quick about it because I know you kind of lose a lot after you sit on stage for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I remember the first maker camp because, you know, I don't really have a sign up, you know, you kind of find it and people kind of drag right. you over to it. Um, but, you know, I had met like Chris, Chris Cash, he'd been in um, the milk run and we mm-hmm. had breakfast um, and we were, you know, talking a little bit, but I didn't know all these people and they didn't really, they didn't know me personally because you never see my picture on there. And uh you know, he had a cool look about him, but he was, he looked so serious when he was at the milk run, you know, first right. coffee of the day and all that, you know, so you're not, not too, uh, you know, you're not too bright, you know, you're kind of, yeah. kind of tightened up. Right. And, uh, he was hanging out by his truck that was kind of just off the, the side of the, the building. And I kept asking, you know, Hey, come over here. You know, I got nobody sitting here. And he's like, Oh, you know, kind of, oh, you know, don't want to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, some of the uh, the modern forge guys came over 
and they kind of came over as a pack. Uh-huh. <clears throat> like, oh, you know, we heard we should get our picture taken. And they come over for a group shot and, you know, just get a group shot. And then they start walking away. And I'm like, where are you guys going? You know, let's get yeah. some singles in there. And uh, so then, you know, a couple of shots in, Cash throws a huge smile. And, you know, some <laughs> of those guys have, you know, coal dust on their face. And I mean, you can't not take a good picture. And right. uh, that really kind of loosened them up quite a bit because they could kind of have fun and everyone distracts each other. And uh, it's a lot easier when there is a group because they're interacting. and I'm just kind of catching those moments. And it's not just me having to uh, kind of tell a bad joke or something. Yeah. Now at the maker camps, um, kind of describe ever to everybody what your setup is. I mean, I've seen it a couple of times, but kind of mm-hmm. go through what, what is your setup? Uh, well, <clears throat> so in like the, at maker camp is kind of specific because that venue is, I don't know if it's going to be raining. I don't know if it's going to be cold. And so the first time I showed up, I brought as much stuff as I brought this year, but I only used maybe a 10th of it but I have, you know, backup gear and I had a ton of lights that I could put into a bunch of different stuff. But when you've got wind howling through there and you've got questionable power sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I only ended up with a single light and tried to really go uh, very simple. Um, so it wasn't too much to go wrong and uh, makes everybody with one big open source and some reflection, you know, everybody's going to look good. And because I don't know if it's going to be one person or 25 people. So I also kind of need to make it a real broad setup. Uh, so it's, it's just a big, uh, big umbrella with a face on it and uh, some, some bounce on the other side. So we've been lucky enough to have a few people on that have been to Makers Camp. And without fault, every one of them mentions getting their photo taken with you. And so it, it begs the question, how busy are you? And what's the logistics of all that as far as how many pictures do you think you took in mass? And when are you going to the bathroom? Uh, well, I'm not really going to the bathroom as the shaper guys, you know, they've all, they, they brought me that sign. I didn't ask them to do it, but they brought me the, he'll be back in five minutes because he's got to pee. Um, Cause the other thing is, you know, when I'm there, I'm, I'm giving a hundred percent. So, you know, I turn on my lights probably nine, nine 30 after, after breakfast. And I really don't shut them off until maybe 11, 1130 at night. And I don't leave. So I, I always think I'm going to, uh, you know, walk around and see some, some wood stuff and some metal stuff and maybe try my hand here or there, but I don't want to be gone and have somebody show up and, you know, miss getting their picture taken. So it's, but then, you know, then I finish at like 11 and then I go take a shower and then I go hang out in the blacksmith tent till like one or two in the morning. And so it's, it's a long day for sure. But typically since I want to be able to have people get the images as soon as I shoot them, I basically, I shoot them. We do a quick selection. And then I email them those pictures right then. So I don't have to cull through these pictures and try and figure out who's with here and who do I got to send them there. So um, logistically, it makes it a lot more, uh, it's, it's much more fluid for people to get their pictures, you know, because if they've got good Wi-Fi, they can post them right then. <clears throat> but I probably take, I don't know, this time I think I took 52, 5,600 pictures. Wow. So earlier when I know it's only been four years, but I was thinking when you were talking about the trip and then we talk about those numbers there, could you imagine if this was 15, 20 years ago and you had rolls of film, like yep. just the, yeah. the sack of film you'd need. Yeah. It'd be yeah. a nightmare for yeah. sure. And you wouldn't get pictures for like two weeks and you know, it would be prints and stuff. And so it is for the immediacy of it. I love digital for that part of it, but um, you kind of really, 
it, it, I don't know. It's, I feel like a lot of people will just, you know, like throw a filter on it and be fine with it and don't really focus on why they're taking that picture or what they want to really express in that picture or kind of making a deeper connection with people. They just make everything look pretty with a cool filter. So that's interesting that you only did portraits there. When you look at your, your Instagram and your portfolios, you, you have a very diverse catalog, but you seem to like, um, I noticed all these like still shots, like here's a table with a bunch of things on them mm-hmm. and, and, or whenever you're going to all these motocross events and you've gotten all these like in the acts of life. And when you go to maker camp, you didn't have the ability to, to really seize that. Um, was it because the mission was portraits or is that something that maybe one year you hope to be able to take advantage of? Um, I mean, I, and I, I kind of walked around a little bit this year and took some pictures. Um, but it really is kind of a little bit of a different mindset. Um, so mentally my brain is more in taking, um, myself out of the equation and just letting people present the, the picture that they want to see. Um, so I don't really do that much like direction for the people. I kind of, I'm just, just a conversation. I'm just taking pictures in the middle of it. Um, whereas if I was doing kind of more still life stuff, then I might want to move stuff around and kind of be more about what I was trying to project. And so obviously <laughs> motorcycles has a big part of your photography Motorcycle is yes. obviously a big part of your life. Yep. Um, what's the difference in capturing that still shot of life versus the life in action, you know, taking these portraits versus motorcycles and, and motive and, and all these moving parts. Um, I mean, honestly, they're, they're not really that dissimilar. The, the act of taking a portrait is really letting someone be comfortable and then knowing where they're going to be when you want to take that picture. So you're kind of directing them, slightly to look one way slightly or another way slightly, but the emotion has to come from the inside. So you have to bring that out and just be prepared for when that happens. Um, the motorcycle and action stuff, you kind of need to know when the best shot's going to be and where that bike is going to look good. And so you just kind of set up for that same kind of moment. So I noticed you have some photos with like models and, and professionals at getting their pictures taken. Huh? Do you give the same kind of commands to the lay photography as you do the professional, you know, when Christy and Marvin were getting their photos, are you telling them, you know, work it, you know, Vogue? Uh, or- Marvin was working it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think because the thing that uh, the, the good and bad of, of people that don't normally get their picture taken up is they don't know what to do. And so it doesn't feel posed. Whereas I'm shooting a picture of someone who's been in front of the camera a lot a model or what, or you know, celebrity or whatever that is, they kind of have their greatest hits of how they think they look good. Um, and sometimes that can be a little bit of a detriment to try to capture a personality. It may look good, but it doesn't give me a personality. That's one thing that I noticed about all the photos from Maker Campus. There was so much emotion in those photos. I mean, you could see the joy or the are just what was happening. Like it really told a story. And I think it's actually the first time when I've looked through photos that I was like, wow, these really like, you can feel what's going on in this photo. And, uh, I, I, I know my main question for you was like, so like my kids, when I go to take photos of them, they do this instant clam up terrible, like they're really photogenic kids, but then they make this really weird face. And I was like, I need to, harness what you have right. to be able to get good pictures of these kids. Cause it's right. like, 
you know, just if you can unlock adults and make them, what's the technique? What, what, what is the way to make it happen? <laughs> uh, well, you, you shoot product in a studio for 20 years and then you get tired of that. And then you leave that, that life behind. Um, I mean, really, I started taking pictures in high school. Um, and it's really just being relaxed about around the person. Um, and I hate getting my picture taken. So I completely understand how everyone feels from the front side of the camera as well. Um, but you really just need to just have a conversation like with your kids, but they see the camera come out, you know, then they start to get all locked up and that's going to happen, but just, you know, push past that and just keep being, uh, available to whatever they give you. And, you know, so maybe they look away for a second and you're not getting the picture that you expected, but there's still a cool picture to take there. So that's why I try not to give too much direction with the portraits. I just want to have a conversation and see what energy they're bringing. And, you know, because these pictures aren't about me, they're about the people in the pictures. And so I want them to be proud of their own pictures and be able to have their friends and family recognize them and say, this is the best part of what I see in this person. So just don't go in with expectations and just accept what what is given. So just continually yell smile at them. That's what you're saying. (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, I mean, it, it really is just, just, you know, for me, it's, it's a great way to, to meet everybody there. Um, so I'm really interested in listening to what people do and where they're from and what they make and what they're passionate about. And that's from, if I take portraits of doctors to CEOs, to makers, to accountants, to plumbers, to shoeshine people, it's, I'm still just interested in what they're doing in that person. Um, and so Honestly, I really just want to hear what people have to say. And, you know, it really is just hoping to make them look good and give them a moment to remember and to share with their friends and family. So you said you've been taking photos since high school. Makers are all about tools and gear. I'm curious, how has your gear and kit changed from when you were starting off in high school to where you are now? Um, well, it was film. <laughs> and so, you know, I spent many, many an hour in a dark room. Um, and, but I still, I still kind of came from the same place mentally. So even though I've used a bunch of different cameras, I'm still trying to get the same, uh, the result that is most true to what I'm looking at. So I've shot, you know, four by five, eight by 10, two and a quarter, 35, whatever you can put in a camera, I've probably shot it. Um, and some of them look cool and I still have some of the film stuff, but to think of the process of loading that up and then taking it to a lab and then waiting for a week and then getting a contact sheet. And then it, it is so rewarding to just be able to have a nice camera, take a picture, put the settings on it, adjust it and do all the darkroom stuff with much, much more precision than you could have done in the darkroom. Um, so in that way it's been simpler, but um, I've got a lot more, strobe lights for, for sure. I didn't really shoot strobe stuff in high school. Earlier, you mentioned portraits with doctors. I was just curious, besides maker portraits, what are some other portrait type events that you've done? Well, um, so like before the first maker event, trying to timeline wise, um, my buddy, he'd seen some of the portraits that I'd done and he, um, was part of producing a continuing educational medical conference for ER doctors. And so they have like 1,200 people there for five days doing all the um, different sessions and workshops and all that stuff. And so I essentially did the same thing, but in a 
uh, in a ballroom in Vegas. And so, um, and they're such a wide range of personalities. It's like, you know, if you think maker, it's simply doing something with your hands and having a result at the end of it. I mean, people, some people work in metal, some people work in wood, but you know, like your ER doctors, they have some people that specialize in ortho or burn or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, but they have lives outside too. So, I mean, every, if you guys weren't covered in sawdust and coal, you guys would just, I would take a portrait of you in your normal life. I don't know that anyone wants a bunch of accountants photographs, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> so I've got a funny story real fast, like 30 seconds. My wife's last job did that. They brought a photographer in to do headshots for everyone for their like email header or whatever. Yeah. But it was like a glamour shots mall photographer. And so yeah. he was doing like, okay, now look over your back shoulder and do this. And it is the most hilarious picture I've ever seen of her. And I make fun of her constantly about her glamour shot. She had to take it work. Yeah. She may have quit done. that job because I made so much fun of her over that photograph. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, comp- larger companies will tend to, you know, hire me to do that. Um, and so I'm definitely, it's kind of weird to like now everyone's on zoom, obviously for all their, their work and their meetings and not going into offices, but, um, I am slowly trying to take over every LinkedIn headshot and, uh, Instagram <laughs> portrait too. So help me with that. Pass that along. Well, we I go. was going to ask you, I noticed on your about me, you've got all, this list of big clients that you've worked with. Um, do you prefer the big companies? Do you prefer something in the middle, smaller gatherings? And what's the difference in working for Walmart per se versus mm-hmm. something like Maker's Camp? Uh, well, Maker's Camp and those kind of portraits are probably emotionally the most rewarding pictures because, you know, somebody shows up, I pull them over, they take a picture and they're surprised by how they look and they're, you know, they're, they're charged up. They like it. And so that's really emotionally rewarding. Um, and so every time I'm doing a portrait, whether, you know, no matter what, whether I'm getting paid for it or losing money or whatever it is, I still want that person to be really proud of that. Um, and you know, the larger clients that are listed on there, primarily that stuff's either room sets or product photography, online sales, um, a lot more of a collaborative team effort. So you'll have, you know, your photo assistant, you'll have your stylist, your art director, your, you know, Stylist assistant or set builder. And so it's more uh, directing the, the process. Um, so there's a lot more kind of conceptualization of the creative side of it and taking those ideas and making them kind of a reality within the budget that you're provided and hopefully, you know, with the aesthetic that they're looking for. Um, and so it's a lot more like pre planning and things like that. The, the makers thing is I just show up and I just, you know, shoot, 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 and then turn around and head back to Cleveland. If you're just going to jump on your motorcycle and go out for a ride, do you bring a professional style camera with you? Or are you just going to roll? No, just just roll iPhone or iPhone. Yeah. Cause on that trip that I took, I had all my stuff. I had it, you know, I had a drone, I had, you know, microphone for doing like interviews. I had my 35 millimeter with like four lenses and it just sat in the case. I didn't, cause it's to pull it all out to, you know, to use it and to really take nice shots of it. It, it's not really what that trip turned into. Um, and now I've got like a little, you know, Sony, I forget what model it is, but I'll just throw that in my jacket. If I want to take some nice stuff or some video, um, that's, but your iPhone these days is you know really good and everything looks great and it's all, you know, nicely balanced and 
Uh, colors look great. And so it's really hard to kind of want to carry another 20 pounds of stuff. Speaking of uh, iPhones and, and that kind of thing, as far as those of us that have no real experience or no real education in photography, huh? but we're here trying to take pictures of our projects, either while we're doing the project or the <clears throat> beauty shops, beauty shots or glamour shots. So huh? kind of, can you give us some tips, do's, don'ts, suggestions, advice? Um, well, like, uh, so one of the things I, I think for most pictures in general is just get closer. So you, you, cause you're standing at whatever distance you're looking at it, but your brain is kind of editing out what you're, what you're not finding important. But when you take that picture, there's all this extra stuff to the sides that you didn't think you were taking a picture of. So just take a couple of steps closer, whether you're taking a picture of a person or uh, your product, but focus and physically edit out of that frame, the stuff that isn't important to you. <clears throat> so that's the, that's the easiest way to improve your photography. Um, and then also kind of look at different angles that, that you hadn't really looked at because you will generally go through life looking at things from your normal height. So like when you're asked about taking pictures of your kids, get down to their level, you know, make them feel appreciated. And at that interaction level, they're looking straight into your eyes and not looking up to you. So those kinds of things are, uh, don't always assume that just because you've normally done it that way, it's going to be the best way to get that picture. Um, I think that's why Austin's so bad at taking photos. The tall people live a dirty life. Tops of refrigerators, to undusted tops of picture frames. He just thinks the world's a dusty place. Hey, I tell you what, the best picture I've ever taken of my kid, we were on the railroad tracks and I'd laid it sunk down in between the rails of the railroad track and laying down like prone, took pictures, hands down the best pictures that ever came out. Partially because of the thrill of him being on the railroad track and he was like excited about it. And, uh, you know, me partially trying to, the ex he felt the excitement of me getting chewed out by my wife for doing that when I got home. <laughs> well, I mean, but you got the picture, right? So it was worth it. That's right. Mark, I wanted to ask you, you know, as a maker, if you have a product you want to post on Instagram, mm -hmm. you've got any tips around staging or other considerations whenever you're, you know, getting ready for that shot that you're going to put out there for the world? Um, I mean, I think everyone, everyone kind of has their own flavor. So make it feel like what your brand is or how you want things to kind of be consistent. So, you know, if you make something that's very simple, make, keep the background kind of simple, but don't overcomplicate things. Try to make it smooth and easy and something that you can repeat in multiple projects. If you want to have that consistency throughout your page. Um, and again, you know, try and go for maybe a little bit different angle. Most products don't shoot them directly on you give them a little bit of a turn so you can see how deep the product is. Um, if you've got multiples, you know, stack them in an interesting pattern, but try not to make it all about the pattern. Initially make it mostly about whatever the most important part of that project is, but then show and exaggerate that with other items. Um, try to just probably stay away from like reflective stuff. Um, that you're going to see how you're either lighting it or maybe your camera or your phone. So you're not reflecting in it. So Mark, one thing is like, I'm not a trained photographer and I don't have a ton of experience in it, but Instagram and the iPhone, it gives all these okay. editing opportunities. Yep. And I hear things like, Oh, overexpose or bump up your contrast or add the vignette. Do, is there any things that in the phone that I need to, you know, maybe pay some attention to that'll really help my photos pop? Um, well, you can go in and I think you can set from the default 
the just the normal setting. They've got other different kind of presets. And so maybe pop one that's maybe got a little more brightness, a little more contrast, depending on if that's what you want the most majority of your pictures to look like. Um, a lot of the cameras now will, will really do a great job kind of showing both the detail and the highlights and the shadows. So if your phone's already doing, doing that for you, then you don't really need to work too much with it. Um, generally, I think most of them probably have the saturation down to like a normal level. Maybe if you want to bump that up a little bit, so they're a little snappier, if it's a landscape or something. Um, if it's a person, I would probably stay away from bumping up saturation because it can kind of show the redness in the skin and things like that. Like when you're taking pictures, are you normally doing like your projects or are you taking like family pictures? Are you, are you no, my projects. And, and you've already said a few things that really touched with me. The consistency thing. I saw an increase in followers when I went to a, I make rubber stamps. And so I was doing an overhead shot in a certain layout over the same background. And I had like a collage of the stamp on white, the stamp on brown. Here's the wooden stamp itself. Here's my sticker. Here's the packaging. And it was a consistent photo. Right. But then uh, sometimes the it just doesn't lay out right, whether it's, you know, the piece of paper I use to wrap. So I had to go at kind of an angle and you see the depth of here's the thickness of the wood or, or here's the expression of it. And it does like kind of light bulb. Oh, wow. Here's a different look. So a lot of the tips you've given, I, I, I probably didn't connect them when I was doing them, but as you were saying them, I was like, Oh, that's right. I remember when I did that one photo from a different angle, how it really felt different and showed the product in a different light. Well, and one of the things like if you're doing, if you're, this is, this can be work for people and for product, but it's easier with product. Um, if you've got a big whiteboard or, you know, a smaller whiteboard, whatever size product you have, if you put that on the shadow side and you, if you've got a, your camera on a tripod, take a picture with it at one distance and then move it closer and then move it closer and see how that changes. And it'll have the fills in on the shadow and kind of gives a, a different shape. What do you think is a better background, white or black? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, it depends on what you're showing. I mean, that's, I mean, in reality, it's the black is going to make the person probably, um, depending on what they're wearing, they may, you know, recede into that. You know, a lot of makers are wearing black or charcoal or, you know, so if it's a black background, that's going to make them kind of not separate from the background and they kind of recede into it. So in that particular case, I might prefer to shoot them on white or have some sort of light on the black background. So it's kind of a charcoal. So there is a better separation. Um, but it, they really just have very different feels. And so uh, one isn't necessarily better than the other. To do the white background, which is what I would know, what I was planning on doing, because that was what I had done the first two events. Um, but then when I showed up and it was windy and I didn't have any, I didn't have enough space, I just went with a simple gray background. And that kind of also gave Maker's Camp its own kind of feeling. So when you look at those pictures, you can kind of recognize them as that, as opposed to just a white background picture. All, right. All you maker photographers out here, pay attention. Here's a free tip. You can take this and you'll get 10 million views on Instagram. We need a <laughs> photography series of different wood types on different color backgrounds so we can understand, you know, what do I need my walnut on? Why does, <laughs> why does oak look better on this color or that color? But I need you to do the late work on that for me. That seems like <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> I've always had this chip. Like I'm just a bad photographer. I like, I, and I think, I don't know. I'm, I don't have a website either. So I, there's a lot of things I'm bad at, but <laughs> photography is like the dark arts to me. So it's always nice to hear somebody talk about it. 
Well, I mean, so like as, as far as the photography thing goes, just, you know, another, like just a key tip for product stuff, make the light source big. So try not to use small lights. Um, Interesting. I do the opposite. I turn the lights off in the shop. Me too. Yeah, I have one light that I put at an angle because I, I thought shadow would show depth. It will. So, no, no, for sure. If you're turning off shop lights, because you're filling the room and you're not shaping something. But if you've got one one light and you've got a larger light, it's going to be more forgiving than a smaller light at the same distance. What about a frequency? I've got all these lights and they've got all these settings and I don't know what any of this means. Is there a good frequency that that's kind of like, this is the entry level, learn on this one? Um, well, so like one of the things I really love, like I love trying to find a, a light source that, you know, A is cheap because everybody wants, wants cheap light. And so you can go to Home Depot and get some of their strip shop lights and mount it onto like a two by four or something and just clamp that or screw that in there. And that'll give you really good, nice, soft, wide light if you're using the same temperature in all your lights. So mm. if you're buying lights to light your product and going like the shop light route, if you can see what the color temperature is, make sure they're all consistent. They don't all have to be all warm or all cool. They'll just all have to be the same so that if you adjust it, then it adjusts all that temperature the same. What do you try to shoot yours in? What temperature? Um, like for just general stuff, you're probably like, if you can find like a daylight or a soft bright, which is, I'm trying to think what their list is. Like, like 4,500. That might be too white. 4,100. A little, little bit too cool. So like 3,000, 3,500. Um, okay. Yeah. But like I said, as long as they're all the same, you can warm that up or cool that down. And it'll be the same every time you take pictures with those lights. But like the light that you're currently lit by, you know, is really warm and orange. But then I'm seeing the reflection on your, um, and now see, now everything just went, because it's it doesn't, your auto balance isn't trying to balance two different color tones. So hmm. as long as all the lights are in that space or on that product are the same color temperature, then that'll work really well for you strip LEDs with like a nice diffusion on the front, like the shop lights that they have at uh, Home Depot for like 20 bucks, the three feet ones, get a bunch of those and just keep them, put them all from one side or, you know, just play with them. Cause they're like 20 bucks a piece. And what's like, you know, right. plug them into a power strip, turn them on and you can light your product. You can move it around there. You can put it at, you know, if it's a nice long shop light, it'll give you a nice long highlight. So if you've got a product that is round or reflective, that'll give you a nice, shape along that whole edge. <clears throat> Whereas a light bulb will just give you one bright highlight, but won't give you any shape. Would you say lighting is just as important as camera equipment when it comes to good photos? Um, well, I mean, there's such a wide range of, of why people take pictures. So that's actually one of the things that, <clears throat> you know, not really, is not really public right now, but I've been talking to a couple of people uh, in the maker community, like uh, Prince Forge and uh, Federer. Um, and then uh, Leah Arapach, if they come back to those events, we want to do like an evening event where people talk about their creative process, why they do different things, thinking more about the design process of things. Um, because everybody can make a cutting board. Right. What makes it your cutting board? So push your sense of design. Um, so in that case, I would probably say that lighting, like I said, you don't have to get expensive lighting. You just kind of have to know where to put it. And um, consistent. So, well, if you don't have a big light source, then bounce it into a wall because that effectively makes a larger, softer light source. Cool. And kind of 
you know, if you've got your camera on a tripod, just keep your camera on a tripod, grab the light and just move it around and take pictures and see how that changes what you're seeing. Um, for product photography, depending on how you've got it, you've got one light on the front and then you might have that white card thing I was talking about controlling the contrast, but then throw a light in the background that kind of rakes across at a low angle. So it's kind of maybe below the product. So it's just lining the edge of it. So it's not putting light on the face of the product, but it is creating ridge and texture on the rear quarters of it. And those are pretty basic um, things to do, just small little things that will really bump up the quality of the product that I really got going. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Through all of your traveling over the United States, what what was the coolest place that you'd been to? Like that was unexpectedly cool. Um, I was in, uh, this was on the kind of the leg, the route 66 leg. And I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, I, I kind of the, kind of the border of like, uh, I think it was in, it must've been in New Mexico. I think it was in New Mexico. And, uh, <clears throat> I pull over and I, there was a abandoned hotel that was all boarded up and they had this cool pool that was, um, had kind of stuff growing out of it. Like it had some water in the, in the deep end. So there were like these reeds that were growing and they were, you know, popping out of the, the pool and type was kind of going to stop in there and just take some, you know, quick pictures. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I kind of pulled all, all my, some of my stuff out and I see this guy in this minivan kind of stop and he like looks over at me and then he kind of like backs up and I'm like, Oh shit, this is going to, this is going to go sideways. <laughs> And then this guy comes, comes walking up and he's got um, his guitar and he's got kind of a rockabilly look to him. He's got uh, uh, cowboy boots and in uh, you know, a camera and stuff. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he's like, he's like, I like to play gigs in pools sometimes. So I'm like, I'm driving around and I see a pool. So I'm like, well, shit, I got a camera. And so I pulled out my drone and I did drone footage of him and I did an audio recording of him. Um, and so he, his thing was he has these uh, cowboy boots and spurs. And so he like kicks the rhythm section on the spurs on the piece of plywood in the pool. And he's you know, strumming on the guitar. And so that was just an unexpected moment. That was just, you know, he was going uh, east to west and I was going west to east. And we just overlapped for those, you know, 15 wow. minutes. So yeah, that was, that was probably one of the best things from the trip. That needs to be on a t-shirt. Yeah. I do gigs at pools. Yeah. <laughs> at least a sticker I, mean, I, might have the, I might have the audio on this on the uh thing if i can find his instagram again i don't know it's, i mean that was a while ago but if i can find it i'll i'll send i'll send you because it was really uh he's actually you know, he plays live gigs you know in bars and stuff too so that's uh, cool pretty pretty enjoyable to, to watch hang out there well mark uh austin over here was a brainchild of a new little segment this or that that i think we're going to try to run with for a few episodes and so you know christy obviously is aware of you from Makers camps. I wanted to ask you this or that. If you could do photos at one event, mm -hmm. would it be Woodstock or Burning Man? I mean, both of those are very chaotic. Um, Burning Man would be environmentally a real challenge. Um, Woodstock, you know, if it's raining and muddy, would be another challenge. I mean, and they're both just people. So I think uh, I don't. Know. It seems like you see a lot of pictures from from uh, Burning Man. So I would probably go Woodstock because maybe I haven't seen as many of those. All right, cool. And so, you know, again, you're, you're, you're known for taking photos of the godfather of the maker world, uh, Mr. Jim DeResta. So if you had to take photos of one godfather, 
Would you rather Marlon Brando or James Brown, the Godfather? Of uh, James Brown. James Brown. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how sweaty I was going to make James Brown in that question, but it doesn't sound <laughs> like that matters. You were going to take James Brown. James Brown, hundred percent. You got to choose the guy with a cape. Yeah, you, <laughs> you always I, choose the guy with. I a don't cape. think that was a bad choice. Absolutely. Um, and then you know I'm I'm looking at the thing we know you for and the thing I think you love. If you had to pick a week of photos, would you rather take photos of makers or motorcycles? Um. Well, so there's this thing in, in mid-Ohio uh, at the Mid-Ohio Raceway in July called uh, AMA Vintage Days. And, I mean, it's basically that. We show up on, like, Thursday, and we don't leave till Monday or Tuesday. And it's the first weekend that I was there. I took 14,000 pictures, and it was just, I mean, it was amazing because everybody has the same kind of energy, too. It's like everybody's there for one purpose, and they, they really love whatever they're doing. And so you've got that same just really great vibe and everyone gets up early and kind of gets coffee and then kind of gets into their day. And then pretty soon it's two in the morning and you're hanging out around the fire. So yeah. that's awesome. Have you ever heard of uh it's called the race of gentlemen? Huh? Yep. Okay. Cause I was going to say that that, if you can go to one event, I think that that would really be a cool, I'd love to see your shots from that event. Compared yeah, to I mean, everyone's shots. kind of got their own flavor too. So like each, each event has its own personality. So an, one last thing, Mark, and then um, we'll bid you adieu. Yeah. I, uh, I always think about Derek Zoolander and Blue Steel. And just okay. the ridiculous. Right. Okay, so you're familiar. Uh, Do you yeah. have any good stories about somebody who just had a ridiculous Blue Steel-esque kind of, they insisted on this look or this pose or this style? And it could be the way a chair sat, not a person, but. Um, I mean, I think, well, that's the thing. Like everybody feels like they have their own, their own pose. Um, and so sometimes you feel you'll take that picture, you'll let them have that moment. And then you kind of say, Hey, well, let's try a few other things and kind of yeah, let's work try a little bit. Um, and one of the, one of the gentlemen I had uh, take a picture, I was taking a picture of this year. He, um, he did, he, he was wearing like these just cool square glasses and uh, you know, he got like pulling them off to take his picture. Cause he did. And I'm like, Oh, come on. I got to get a picture with the glasses. I got to get a picture. And he's like, no, no, no. And then we did a couple edits and I was like, I got to get a picture with the, with the glasses. And he put them on for a second, like peeked over the top of them. And I took a picture and he's like, damn it. That's my favorite picture. <laughs> <laughs> Who would think the professional photographer knew better? I mean, every once in a while I get it right. <laughs> I wanted to mention, I appreciate you know, we've lost some makers over the last few years that yeah. are big in the community. And I just appreciate the fact that you have taken beautiful pictures of those makers. And we have those now, yeah. you know, even though the maker is not with us anymore. So I just wanted to mention that, that I appreciated that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's actually, it's been really emotional when uh, somebody passes away that, because um, ultimately, I, you know, when I was starting these kind of pictures, I was envisioning know someone who would be sharing these pictures like 10 20 years down the road maybe it was like hey this is what i was doing then or hey look how young i looked and that kind of stuff or you know showing their family but then when somebody passes away so suddenly uh it it really has a pretty strong uh kind of waves that kind of spread out through the community well mark it has been uh it has been a treat having you on this evening um do you want to go ahead and give everybody the how to find you, how to follow along with uh, with your travels and your photography? 
Uh, well, all my all my travels and because right now I'm remodeling a house too, and, and my child at home because a buddy had a an idea that I should come back and remodel it, you know, as the project. Uh, and so, remodeling a house that'll take me a week now, no problem. <laughs> it's like two and a half years later, I'm still sanding wow. floors and doing plumbing and doing all this stuff. And it's like you know, everybody is funny because they they don't view me as a handy maker. But, right. you know, I'm running electrical. I'm doing hardwood floors. I'm doing everything. So, yeah, I did get my hands dirty besides taking pictures. So uh, some of those are on R66TAT on Instagram or uh, the professional stuff is on the Mark Adams pictures on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome, man. Keep hiding those Hot Wheels during that remodel. Oh, yeah, you uh, you saw that. Yeah, and if you want to know what I'm talking about, you need to go check out Mark's page. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks well, for coming on. Have me back anytime. Absolutely. All right. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. So Austin, one thing when we were talking to Mark and all the photography conversation, I couldn't help but think about your project from last year where you really elevated your photography game in your shop as you built the camera gantry. So I thought maybe you would kind of just tell us what this gantry is, the motivation behind it, and then maybe ask some, answer some questions Christy and I have about it. Sure. So, yeah. So the gantry main reason that I built the gantry was to get away from using a tripod with my camera, uh, cramped workspace. It's very difficult to use a tripod and all the tools that I'm using, I I'm tall, a little bit taller and I like my tools up high. So to get over top of the tool, now you have to raise your tripod even higher which makes the base get wider and wider and wider, which means that the head of the camera is further and further away from your, what you're trying to zoom in on. Mm -hmm. um, so my first thought, I had these two beams in my shop. I was like, well, this is like a perfect setup for like a, like a shop crane gantry. Um, but then I was like, but instead of using it to lift heavy equipment, let's use it to actually put all of my computer, um, my camera equipment on it. And, um, so basically it's just, it's two runs of, um, Unistrut, which is like a, um, electrical, you can find in any home center. It's a, they use it for electrical, um, systems. And, uh, so that runs down each beam. And then I welded a big two inch square tubing, um, piece of steel to a piece of Unistrut and made kind of like a, a the cross gantry. So basically when you have your camera riding in it, you can go to any corner of the workshop um, by like the X and Y of those two crossing. And um, yeah, I've been using it ever since. And I tell you what, it really, it's really convenient. So how do you attach your camera to the gantry? Is it with a mount or did you come up with another creative solution? So basically I, I made a drop down from the, gantry and it has um an arm on it a metal arm that is 360 degree you can swing it in 360 degrees it's about two and a half feet long and i made a adapter so that i can use i can screw my camera onto a machinist tool holder yeah and uh it's got a magnetic base and it's 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 a really big one it's called a noga big boy so it actually it's got a 292 pound magnet um because my cam wow. my camera is pretty expensive and I didn't want it 
to take a chance of it falling off. So I ended up going for the, the big tool holder. So then I know in your advanced age, your eyes have to be going out. Are you using that little flip screen on the camera or you've came up with something else? Yeah. So above the uh, arm for the camera, I ended up rigging up this big computer monitor because it's hard for me to actually see. A lot of times I'm shooting from the, the back. The camera is actually on the opposite side of where I am. So I can't actually see that little screen when I flip it around. Um, I can see the screen, but I just can't, I couldn't actually tell that it was in focus and I shoot almost everything in manual. So when you're shooting a manual, it's very easy to get it out of focus. Um, so I use this big computer monitor. It actually mounts right on above the camera mount. So did you run like an extension cord to this? How do you stop that from getting tangled? You know? Yeah. My first idea was to do like an extension cord that had a bunch of loops that would kind of follow it all around, all the way around the shop. Um, but then I was like, what would be awesome is if this thing was completely battery powered and I could use drill, um, like DeWalt drill batteries to, to power it. (laughs) So I ended up running a, um, inverter and a voltage reducer. (laughs) So that way I could get it down to, um, 12 volts from the 20 volt DeWalt battery, um, to power the inverter, which would run the actual computer monitor. So computer monitors actually on the inside run off of 12 volt, but I was not willing to risk popping the shell and getting inside that thing and and trying to find where the 12 volt was actually located in there. So for, I don't know, it's like 20 bucks. The parts are super cheap on Amazon. And uh, I was able to just make basically a portable monitor that runs on dual drill batteries. Are Are you happy with the setup a year later? Yes, I would definitely... There's nothing that I would change, um, except maybe I would, the only thing I might do is add just a little bit of weight to the bottom of the camera mount just to stop any kind of sway. Um, cause it's, if you get it rocking and don't really notice it and you're really zoomed in with your camera, you can get a little bit of sway. Uh, one thing that I do use with it is a remote because if you touch the camera, you know, basically it's a pendulum swing. So anytime you bump it or anything like that, it, it will start moving the camera. Um, so I think maybe something like that would help a little bit. Uh, besides that, it's been awesome. And not only that, I've noticed that I, I even will use like my phone on the tripod now and the camera on the gantry, like my DSLR camera. And it's just so nice to have the two, two different shots. And you've got a YouTube video on this, right? I think I've, I've watched it before. I've got three videos. So it's one, one for making the um, magnetic uh, camera mount, one for the how to basically turn you anything battery powered. You can make anything battery powered if you follow the uh, camera monitor. And then the actual gantry system is a video as well. I'm going to need to watch those again before I finish my shop. Not that I'm going to do anything that cool in my shop. But, um, but yeah, those, that's just such an awesome setup. I mean, it's just, it's such a cool setup. Let me ask you, since you did the research and so I won't have to, I think you use a trolley connection with four wheels. That's really good at going one, you know, one way and back. Was there any kind of configuration where you could do like a gentle 90 or even a direct pivot? So if you wanted to make like an H style gantry or a, a Y style gantry, I mean, I never really thought about it because I, I, I have the X and Y. So um, I didn't super need that. The one, 
where that camera actually mounts, uh, it being able to turn 360 is crucial. You know, that's very important. One thing that I did see, there's this guy named, uh, I think his name's Andre Chappelle, something like that. He's a French guy on YouTube and he, he made a 3d printed, um, computer, uh, uh, camera boom, I guess is the right term for it. And, um, his is unbelievable. It has like a lot oh. of extension where you can really move and it's really fluid. Um, I could see like a version two having some of those capabilities, um, like that extension or just even if you could get some kind of slow motor where it would give you a little bit of a, almost like they use those, um, you know, like the track car cameras on the, on the, um, rails. So just some kind of movement. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, now that we've spotlighted him, you know, Christy, you and I need to really step up our photography game. I'm curious where are you at as far as it comes to documenting and, and what's something maybe good and maybe something you want to improve on? I need to improve on actually doing something with what I record. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I film and photograph everything, but my failure is getting it edited, getting it posted, getting it up and running. Um, I know that running into the rabbit hole of uh, getting professional looking shots, I've got so much to work on prior to that. Um, now, I did write down the notes when uh, Mark was walking through the recommendations because I'm like, that's legit stuff that I can implement and like step up my game. But I realize going from my phone to a regular camera or anything like that, that'll actually benefit me. You know what I mean? So uh, as far as my setup, I use my iPhone. I've got a, a really nice set of, uh, of tripod uh, lights that are they communicate to each other and I can, I have a remote, I can adjust the warmth and the coolness and the brightness and everything. And uh, those have been super helpful at taking photos of, of all kinds of things over the last, I guess, year and a half um, that I've had them. They've been, they've been a lot of help, but uh, I've, I've got a lot of room for improvement, but I think, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I just need to uh, follow through a little better. Yeah. I think follow through is the thing for me too. I, I've got a ton of stuff, you know, I've got wireless hard drives and I've got uh, different types of cameras, but my go-to is a, a GoPro is what I record most of my uh, building footage in. Uh, I did invest in a DJI gimbal that your phone attaches to. And mm -hmm. it's really cool, except it's one of that whole like Blu-ray HD DVD kind of deal where you have to use the DJI app for the gimbal to do any motion tracking or any hand gesture control. Then I have to export that to my camera roll. Then I have to send it from my camera roll to whatever my editing software is all before I upload. And I'm just not at a place where I can afford that amount of commitment and time the time to putting out this kind of footage. I mean, it's not my full-time job. Um, even today, I posted a, a reel today. It's 15 second reel. And that was recorded on my iPhone on a tripod that I had to export to Premiere Rush so that I could speed it up times two because Instagram doesn't let you speed up pre-recorded video and then import that into Instagram and then add audio in and it, for 15 seconds. 
And it's mm-hmm. just, I'm, I'm really struggling to find the value. But one thing I did find value in was I bought a pair of lapel uh, microphones or, or wireless receivers. And so uh-huh. some of my original videos I'm filming with a GoPro or even with my phone, if I'm going to talk, I'll record that with my phone. Um, and the audio was questionable or average. But whenever I added this, so it's got a wireless receiver that plugs into my iPhone and then I wear the microphone and it improved the audio dramatically and made for much a much better package. So I think that was a big step forward I took last year. I think the next step is I really need to understand what he was talking about with the lighting because um, I think you can change the whole story when your lighting gets more dramatic. I know everybody here can't see it, but I have a room full of light. Christy has a dark room with a light in front of her. But Austin has both a light in front of him and a light behind him. And that light behind him really makes it like a more dramatic setting. I find like, I like Austin's view a little more. And so that's something like if I want to start doing, I do a lot of voiceover if I'm going to do a YouTube video once a year, but it'd be nice if I'm going to show my face to learn like that dramatic light in the back is, is a neat little trick. That's because I'm fucking professional. Okay. I come to get <laughs> shit done. Yeah. Can you turn on the it's hot light? Oh, that's right. It burned out, Mr. Professional. Hey, it's not burned out. There's no batteries on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, just hey, I want to let me derail this conversation. And I want to talk about something that it pisses me off about. We're talking about reels. We're talking about let's talk about garbage content. Because oh, there's yeah. a lot of fucking assholes that are trying to abuse this reels trend and they're putting out pure garbage i mean it's like hey guys watch me put three screws in a piece of wood look nobody wants to see that you know what that is that's you pat maybe you don't but there's twenty thousand patsies out there that want to see it dude that's called well i'm I'm gonna say it cleaner that's called patting yourself on the back make you know it's just you're jostling your jimmy is what it is nobody wants to see that shit edit it out put some good content out you know, funny that you mentioned that because I don't have a whole lot of content on the show. I know the, the shop is a ton of content, but when we're working on it, we're working on it. Um, and so the other day when we were taking the bracing down, I literally videoed myself unscrewing screws off of the bracing. Posted. And I looked at, no, I'm, I looked at, I'm like, <laughs> there is no way I'm going to, there's no way I'm going to post that. But then. And I am not to judge anyone else's content because I know, like I've said a hundred times, I've got so much room to improve because I, I struggle in some areas, but I'm like, there is no way I'm going to post that. But yet I do see people post, yeah, 10 seconds of unscrewing a screw. And then I look and I'm like, they got 129,000 followers. Let me be a contrarian. Oh, right now. If you want to add Instagram followers take the most basic project you can do and then split it up into three, even more basic steps and post those three reels and you will gain followers. I mean, I've seen people literally screw hinges onto a gate and somehow that's multiple videos and they're adding followers. And that's the game right now. Instagram is in a mad dash, a battle against TikTok, and their ammunition is your shitty reels and they want them. And if you give them to them, they're going to publish them. You know, the, the shots will be fired. So yeah. yeah. If you're baking cookies, do not dare go from flour to final product. That's three or four videos that need to be out there. 
And, and that's the atmosphere we're in right now. If you want, you know, quality content, this isn't the time and place for you. This is the quantity over quality error right now when it comes to Instagram. Tell you what, it's true. I, I thought about some, this would be good content because it's funny, but it's like, here's how you make security screws and you just drive a board, a screw into the board and you just keep hammering it till it strips out. And it's just like, and you're like, there you go. That's how to make security screws. This bitch is never coming out. <laughs> like, that's and a, that'll go. That's, yeah, that's a 300,000 view video. Yeah. But you guys can take that one and go show your shit on Instagram. Stupid ass fucking algorithm. Well, I'm telling you, you're a fool. If you post a static photo right now, if you post a static photo right now, you are a damn fool because no one will ever see it. You better make it a three second or longer video because if it's not posted as a reel, it's not getting any traction. Yep. I have posted a few static photos of my shop build because I want them. I know that, no, yeah, I get 50 people or whatever to like it or whatever it is. And I'm okay with that. I get more of my people comment. And I say my people, I mean like the maker community, the, the people that normally communicate with me, I'll have comments on there like that. But I sometimes will post a picture because I want that in my storyboard. I want that in my story. I want that in my process. I don't care if it gets 50 likes or 244,000, you know, views or whatever. I will still post a static photo, particularly because I'm still building the shop, but that's just me. But like I said, I know going into it, I'm going to get 40 or 50 likes and that's about it. And like I said, I'm okay with that. Yep. I do have a hundred thousand. I do have a hundred thousand on that silly glue up. I'm like, the glue up. Like I said, garbage content is. <laughs> no, hey, that that's was, better. That's that way was... better than what is the shit I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Look, well, I there was my... a little bit too that glue up. Not much, but there's a little bit. I did a 60 second reel. That was my year in recap. And, you know, went through, spent some time, curated, made it a full minute recap. It has a thousand forty six views. I have a video of me walking down the hall in my office saying no one's here. It has fifteen hundred views. <laughs> so exactly. You tell me this is where we're at. Yeah, this is where we're at. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review and don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to hear your feedback. So reach out to us on Instagram at Making Our Way Podcast. You can find all of our individual latest content on Instagram or YouTube. Austin is at High Caliber Craftsman. Christy is at the Twisted Twine Woodworking. And I'm at Dean underscore Duplantis. Thanks again, friends. So we're going in and she's like, is it my turn to pay or yours? And I go, I don't know. And so I open up the banking app to look, when was the last time I had a transaction? This broad pulls out a paper checkbook registry and she got the information your first wife. and then rubbed it in my face that, Ooh, pen and paper were better than your technology. I'm like, whatever. As long as right. yeah, she's going to carry that shit around. Right. <laughs> right. So, and how long did it take her to write out a check every time she's, oh, she's the worst. <laughs> She's, she's the, best. the best. She is the best.